0: Nurturing nature. I'm a hummingbird eating flowers, just absolutely gobbling them up. Welcome to another thrilling, adrenaline-filled episode of The Duck Stack. After all the spiders last week, you're sure to be on the edge of your seat. But have no fear, there are no spiders in this letter. There may be cookies. I don't know Substack's web policy there. However, if I decide to offer cookies myself, they will be only for paid subscribers. Please beware the lengthy section on sex, and forgive the shortness of the history section. The reason that it is so brief is that the past has simply run out of events. To compensate for this, we will be adding an additional history section with made-up events. Enjoy! History. Took my kiddo to a baptism. I was trying to explain what was going on, but then had to take him outside during the confirmation because he kept loudly asking, where's the Holy Ghost, Papa? Extra bonus history. Once upon a time, there was a moonlit dog named Fido. He loved to bark at the moon in effort to change it into the sun. Unfortunately, Fido lived on the quasi-planet of Pluto and had poor eyesight and no access to glasses or contact lenses and therefore could not see the sunrise. One day, the glasses fairy came to Pluto. Upon looking upon Fido, she had compassion on the poor dog, and gave him a pair of glasses she had nabbed from some kid's nightstand, and didn't even charge Fido for them. Take these, and if any coppers show up, you never saw me, she said compassionately, and hastily poofed away back to Fairyland. Fido tried on the glasses, and they were the wrong prescription for him, so he still couldn't really see that great, but he looked and looked and looked at the stars, and the star named the sun, until his eyes watered and fell out, and they all lived happily ever after. The end, feminine fealty. This relationship is photoshopped, I can tell from some of the pixels and from having seen quite a few shops in my day. I'm going to give some sex and relationship advice for a moment, and give a part of the map that works for me, for some of the more polarly documented territory, regarding henpecked. I'm not going to write a full guide to all relationships here, but hopefully you can get some use out of this framework. Henpecking is when a wife berates her man too frequently, causing him to shut down. It's an entirely natural instinct in women, and I don't think it's bad, but indulge too much, and without temperance, it can lead to a man becoming henpecked, unquote. Tired and put upon and not really jazzed about fulfilling your needs as a woman, which causes you to resent him more, which makes you more prone to criticizing him, which solenifies him even more. You should expect to see some of this in your relationship. It isn't wrong to have some costs associated with your relationships with the opposite sex, but if you are aware of the dynamics beforehand, it can really help mitigate the friction. Let me lens some of male psychology to explain. What men want in a woman is something akin to fealty and adoration. He takes on a lot of costs in a wife. She will want a nice couch, a nice house, higher quality foods, and attention. So he wants some things back. And the standard payments, like money and stuff, aren't really interesting to him. Here, a lot of people say, well, one way she pays him is sex. And that is like saying, well, you buy a car with a Honda. There is stuff behind the sex drive. The sex drive doesn't drive. There's philosophy behind it. A man will drift around his core ideal self throughout life and is attracted to the woman who he thinks will best serve as a meter for how close he is to being his ideal. To quote Anne Rand, The man who despises himself tries to gain self-esteem from sexual adventures, which can't be done, because sex is not the cause, but an effect and an expression of a man's sense of his own value. The men who think that wealth comes from material resource and has no intellectual root or meaning are the men who think, for the same reason, that sex is a physical capacity which functions independently of one's mind, choice, or code of values. They think that your body creates a desire and makes a choice for you, just about in some such way as if iron ore transformed itself into railroad rails of its own volition. Love is blind, they say. Sex is impervious to reason and mocks the power of all philosophers, but in fact, a man's sexual choice is the result of the sum of his fundamental convictions. Tell me what a man finds sexually attractive and I will tell you his entire philosophy of life. Show me the woman he sleeps with and I will tell you his valuation of himself. No matter what corruption he's taught about the virtue of selflessness, Sex is the most profoundly selfish of all acts, an act which he cannot perform for any motive but his own enjoyment, just try to think of performing it in spirit of selfless charity. An act which is not possible in self-abasement, only in self-exaltation, only in the confidence of being desired and being worthy of desired. It is an act that forces him to stand naked in spirit as well as in body and to accept his real ego as his standard of value. He will always be attracted to the woman who reflects his deepest vision of himself, the woman whose surrender permits him to experience, or to fake, a sense of self-esteem. Love is our response to our highest values and can be nothing else." Anne Rand. After marriage, men judge themselves primarily by their wives. If she's Henri, the man will become a useless peasant because that's what he feels he has to be. This is counterintuitive. Which is why this sort of friction slips into relationships so easily, because you would think her disapproval would make him want to do better, and maybe it does some, but the man's psychology is different. When you admire him, you remind him of his ideal self. When you detest him, he feels his meter is broken, and he becomes lost. Without his wife's admiration, it will be difficult for any man to achieve his dreams. Criticizing a man while walking in balance with these principles was a great work our ancestors engaged in, which we pretty much threw away entirely when we decided boys and girls were the same thing, and now everyone's getting divorced and has no idea how to make relationships work. Oops. Anyway, if a man is working and providing home, food, money, comforts for someone, and he has power and authority as payment for that, the man is a king. If a man is providing these things and has no authority in response, the definition of that is slave. If a man feels like a slave, he will do the minimum work for as few lashings as possible and set no goals for his own ambitions. And then she will feel married to a deadbeat. I think this is why God says Eve's desire must be to her husband, for her own sake. Bennett's Demilich's substack post this week is on a very adjacent subject, which I recommend reading here, where he goes into more depth on the aspect of being worthy of a wife's desire. Here's a snippet. Quote, second, they're afraid of being tyrannized. Nobody actually wants to be humiliated or hurt or exploited. Women enjoy feeling owned, but we no longer have any cultural vocabulary for a hierarchical relationship that is not tyrannical. So the idea of being owned and the idea of being abused are deeply connected. There is a fear that if the, that desire is ever defined as anything other than kink, if it is ever permitted to escape the bedroom, then it would mean literal, actual, unsexy slavery. He goes on to talk about how there's no glory in, being, in submitting to a deadbeat trailer trash. Um, if, if you're submitting to someone who is righteous and worthy and powerful and sexy and whatever, then it makes sense and and kind of elevates your status because you're linked to him. Anyway, read the post. Just editing that in there. Clean code. Name one thing keeping you from putting jokes in your code's comments. That thing is of Satan.